It's that time of the year folks. The financial year is coming to an end and it's time to take a step back and analyze what are the things that we did right and what we can do better in the upcoming financial year. The Indian economy is coming out of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and although not all sectors are doing exceedingly well, the economy as a whole is gathering steam. Given the fact that India is connected to a global world like never before, can the Indian economy bear the brunt of a slowdown this time around? This uptick is coming at a very important time. The centre has set a target to make India a $5 trillion economy by the financial year 2024-2025. Unsurprisingly, the pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine war severely impacted the Indian economy as it did most economies the world over. Unsurprisingly, the COVID-19 pandemic and the Russia-Ukraine war severely impacted the Indian economy as it did the economies the world over. Can India still achieve this target? Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Business Line podcast. I am Nivedita Varadarajan. In this episode, Crystal's Deepthi Deshpande and Pushan Sharma join us to help us understand what we can look forward to in the upcoming financial year and what the path to India becoming a $5 trillion economy looks like. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Deepthi and Pushan. It's great having you here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Deepthi, in your recent report, uh, Crystal actually released a report on what we can expect from the, econ- uh, from the Indian economy in the upcoming financial year. Crystal predicted that India's GDP will grow at a rate of 6% in the next fiscal, despite several challenges. Can you tell us how the Indian economy is growing even though many countries are facing a slowdown? Okay, so I think, uh, you know, there are a couple of ways to look at uh, how the Indian economy is expected to pan out. So for this year in FY23, the government's put out an uh, a second advanced estimate that uh, we see about 7% growth in FY23. Moving on in uh, fiscal 24, we expect growth to soften a bit. And honestly, there are three reasons why we believe growth will soften. Number one is that global growth is slowing. It's slowing mostly in some of the advanced economies that we trade quite a lot of with. So a slowdown in these countries essentially means slower demand for our exports. And that's expected to have the number one impact on our economy uh, this year around. The second factor that we believe will have an impact is tighter financial conditions, which we expect will come by as interest rate transmission in the economy increases. So far, what we've seen is that the entire increase in policy rates has not been passed on by all the segments in the economy, especially banks, but they're gradually doing so and that pace is increasing in recent months. So as that happens, we believe that will uh, increase the cost of borrowing and it will also have an impact on demand, especially in those sectors which are consumer facing and more so interest rate sensitive. The third factor which we believe will have an impact in pulling down growth in the upcoming fiscal is the fact that geopolitical tensions remain. And what that means is that, number one, it creates a situation of uncertainty where investors are a little uncertain to invest, manufacturers are a little uncertain to expand capacities. It also means that although global oil and commodity prices are coming down, the geopolitical uncertainty sort of restricts the downside. So relatively high uh, input costs 
also come in the way when you know we are facing a slowing demand situation and that restricts the manufacturer's ability to hike prices. So I think all these three factors put together are expected to bring down GDP growth in fiscal 24 to 6%. In addition to that, there are two more factors which we believe will shape recovery. Number one is the fact that government's capex momentum remains strong. In the recent budget, we saw that the central government stayed focused on its capex spending on infrastructure. So that will provide some support. And second is the fact that although there is a slow, but it's also a steady pickup in private sector capex that we are seeing, a lot of it coming in, you know, complementary sectors, sectors basically that complement government spending. And these sectors being steel and cement, or those sectors that are supported by the government's production-linked incentive scheme, or even those sectors where the imperative to transition towards greener processes of manufacturing is necessary. So I think that's how we see growth shaping up in the upcoming fiscal. Uh, how is the Indian economy growing, even though there's a global slowdown? So see, two factors. The global slowdown basically brings about a slowdown here as well. And therefore, like I said, we are going from 7% to 6%. But there is growth in the economy because, number one, not all segments of the, uh, of the in the country have recovered. So the way we came out of this pandemic is that initially we saw, uh, you know, the industrial sector, manufacturing sector, etc. do well and try a catch up towards pre-pandemic rates. That was at that time supported by the fact that industry faced lesser number of restrictions. In contrast, we had the services sector, mainly, you know, the contact-based services like travel, tourism, transport, hotels, restaurants, all of these, which as a result of fear factor restrictions and a number of these other things, were not able to catch up. What we are witnessing in FI23 is that a number of these sectors continue to see a catch-up in growth rates. And hence, when you look at a number of high-frequency indicators also, you would see quite a bit of strength and resilience in, for example, air travel, uh, visits to hotels and uh, uh, restaurants, bookings, etc., so all of these continue to suggest that there is some resilience in the economy, but that resilience is gradually fading away. That's leading to growth slowing down, but there will still continue to be growth. Secondly, you know, while interest rates continue to have an impact, like I said, on some segments of the economy, which are consumer facing, interest rate sensitive, etc., not all segments are driven by interest rate cycles. For example, private sector capex is picking up because wherever demand prospects seem to be better, there you see, uh, uh, you know, private sector coming by. So I think these other uh, factors in the economy remain supportive and that's why we have growth. Deepti, in your report, you're saying that the export segment of our Indian economy is doing relatively okay, even though there is a, a global down, a slowdown. How do we reconcile these two facts? What's going on here? So I think this is an interesting question. I mean, uh, global economic slowdown and, you know, somewhere an expectation that there should be a one-to-one -one slowdown in exports to is, is natural to expect. But I think there are two parts to this uh, question. Number one is that when you look at exports, we need to bifurcate them into um, exports of goods and exports of services. So number one, globally, we'd see that even, even similar to India, you know, many other countries, especially the US and EU, are basically seeing some sort of a slowdown in the goods part of the economy. And similar to India, again, where services were not able to catch up, the catch up is happening now. 
and therefore we are seeing demand for services exports from india continue to stay extremely resilient and we believe that kind of strength will continue for us for some more period now now moving to goods export where most of the slowdown globally is expected to hit it has been hitting why it's not visible in the overall numbers is that we are seeing this overall category of goods it's only oil exports which so far in the year have done well because we managed to you know secure cheaper oil imports from say russia and then we are able to process it and then uh, sell it out at relatively competitive rates so i think that's the story when you look at uh, exports but nevertheless moving into fy24 the overall expectation is that goods exports will will certainly uh, seem some sort of a softening whereas services exports could stay stronger for a little more time so is it kind of safe to say that the worst is over for the indian economy that that we're moving on from the impact of the pandemic even though there is a lot of global uncertainty would i be correct in saying that see if you say from the pandemic per se uh, of course the fear around the pandemic is is not so much as it was earlier it's come down considerably i think even in case of any more waves uh, people are taking it a little more lightly than they were earlier now that we are vaccinated etc and the healthcare systems are in a better position to handle it but uh the scars of the pandemic remain they remain because while we recovered we haven't recovered at a pace that we should have so for instance our estimates had suggested that you know if covid had not uh, um, hit us we would at, have been at a certain level today we are about 9% below that level so if we wanted to reach to that level of economy we would have to grow by about 13% every year and that's in real terms that is when you deflate for the inflation that we've not done so because and we are calling that a permanent loss which we are unlikely to bridge even in the medium term so when because there's a permanent loss that permanent loss is actually seen in sectors such as you know auto consumer durables housing etc which in the absence of pandemic we would have seen better sales much higher sales etc so to that extent the pandemic effect remains so given the situation how close are we to achieving the target of becoming a 5 trillion dollar economy by the financial year 2024 2025 when prime minister narendra modi set this target way back in 2019 these set of issues weren't there at that time right so how far are we from achieving the target we will of course meet the 5 trillion dollar uh, economy target but our estimates suggest that that's not happening by fi uh, 24 25 we believe that's more likely to come by in say fi 29 or so at the most say fi 28 if a couple of things work in our favor so that that's a base case so you know there are two things for example again i earlier also alluded to um, this comparison of a pre pandemic level that is had covid not hit us where we'd be similarly if we look at this 5 trillion target had covid not hit us today we would be a 3.5 trillion economy now after having covid hit us we are expected to be at 3.4 trillion now as you hear this you might think i'm contradicting myself because i spoke of a permanent loss i said how we've not recovered from the pandemic etc but you know mind you when i was talking about that i was talking about the real economy 
here when i'm talking about the 3.4 trillion or the 5 trillion target we are here talking about an economy wherein inflation or price increases accounted for now when i say this it, it's clear that in the last two years the nominal economy in terms when you include inflation has caught up but in real terms the economy hasn't so whatever catch up that we are seeing that is we've not strayed away from this 3.5 trillion target as much is because inflation was significantly higher in the last three years now this is you know as on as on date but moving on our understanding is that if we assume a rational growth assumption that is if we expect our nominal gdp growth to be at about say 11 percent over the next five years which is not very different from what we saw in the five, uh, decade before the pandemic. And if we see a reasonable, uh, uh, say, inflation rate, etc. And also if we assume that rupee depreciates at our pre-pandemic decadal uh, average again against the dollar, we are likely to achieve or get or meet the $5 trillion target by FY29. If things are a little more favorable on the currency front, we, that target might be achieved a year earlier. Any, you know, trying to get to that target anytime before FY28 would require a lot of muscle power in terms of driving the economy on the front of reforms, you know, significantly pushing up the uh, investment cycle, raising the productive capacity of the economy, basically doing away with bottlenecks, pushing reforms doubly compared to what we're doing today, which is not something that we see in our base case. One thing that I noticed in your uh, report was how well the center's PLA scheme or the production-linked incentive scheme was doing. Pushin, can you give us a little more insights on that? Sure. Uh, so if you look at the PLI scheme and why it was brought in India, uh, the reasons were to make us globally competitive, encourage foreign entities to manufacture in India, and negate some of our competitive disadvantages pertaining to logistics and power, to name a few. Now, to start off, the flagship PLI scheme was delayed in certain sectors, and that was on account of the COVID-induced disruptions. Nearly 8 out of 14 sectors got the government approval only in 2022. Uh, but despite that, we've seen very healthy investor interest. And what we can see is that the government has approved a total of 716 applicants. Now, the interest from the applicants has been healthy, and that is because of the attractive incentives, uh, which would not only boost their profitability, but is also likely to make their exports more competitive in the global environment. Uh, the PLI incentives are likely to enhance India's attractiveness as an alternate investment destination for companies as they increasingly adopt the China plus one strategy. Now talk about some of the aspects related to the capex that is expected, as well as the incentive outgo. Uh, while most of the PLI schemes are in their nascent stages, certain schemes such as the mobile PLI have already shown early signs of success, with scheme leading to a total production of 2.03 lakh crores, including exports of around 81,000 crores as of September 22. So we can already see some of the benefits percolating in sectors which have availed uh, the scheme. And overall, the scheme is expected to lead to a total capex of 2.76 lakh crores, across sectors over its tenure of five years. And 60% of this is going to come from top three sectors, that is automobile, ACC battery, and specialty steel. 
in the larger scheme of things, PLI will be a key driver in industrial capex over the next five fiscals and is likely to account for 9% of the total industrial capex in this time period. Simultaneously, the scheme will also entail an incentive payout of 1.82 lakh crores. And lastly, in terms of the benefit, uh, the scheme envisages benefiting and creating about 60 lakh job opportunities. So it is a scheme which is likely to boost capex, increase our manufacturing progress and our share in the global exports, as well as provide employment in India. Another thing that I found interesting personally was that a lot of these sectors in the PLI scheme were the ones that are driving exports, not only now, but also in the future as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, portion? Definitely, the scheme incentivizes manufacturers uh, to increase their exports. So one can see that our share in exports across the 14 sectors uh, that the scheme is incentivizing. And specifically, if we talk about, say, the auto component sector, India is one of the largest producers of you know, sectors like uh, two-wheelers as well as tractors, we still import some of the critical auto components. So one is our reliance on imports will reduce through the scheme. And also given that we have a large consumption base, we can use that same production facility to cater to the demand of the rest of the world. Is it realistic to expect that the PLI scheme will help in their transition more to a manufacturing hub also? At least that is the objective of the scheme. However, uh, much more would need to be done. Uh, for example, one can see that 56% of the incentive payouts are linked to stringent incentive criteria. And that becomes a critical monitorable, whether the industry will be able to get the incentives that the scheme envisages. We might also need subsequent PLI schemes to you know, negate some of our inefficiencies when it comes to manufacturing. We need subsequent measures to keep coming in to actually push that agenda. So what are some of the measures the government will have to take then? It will involve, you know, we saw phase one of the PLI scheme, then another phase two of the PLI scheme. We'll, we'll need to see more incentives uh, being given. Uh, we'll also need to see in some cases the stringency on the incentive uh, might need to be reduced. Uh, some of the incentives talk about uh, domestic value addition. It will have to be seen whether we have the domestic ecosystem to actually provide that level of value addition. So it will need creation of an ancillary infrastructure as well so that people are able to use local products in manufacturing these uh, you know, final products. That will also involve things like skilling people and ensuring that the MSMEs have a bigger role to play. Is the government doing that right now? It will definitely involve a uh, you know, multitude of aspects, right from infrastructure creation for better logistics, better R&D facilities, uh, and that's what I meant by the entire ecosystem. And uh, the MSMEs definitely will need to play a critical role. They account for a significant chunk of the manufacturing in India, and they will need to play a role in that ancillary support as well. The government is looking at cluster development of MSMEs, but we feel that a lot more needs to be done in that direction. The large players, the largely, I would say, out of the woods uh, when it comes to the pandemic impact, the same cannot be said about the MSMEs. Uh, the MSMEs are still struggling and uh, working capital issues, one critical aspect that plagues them and a lot more needs to be done on that front. So what should the government be doing to address some of the issues that the sector is facing? 
before I talk about some of the issues that need to be addressed, I just want to underline the importance of the MSMEs, and I'll do that by way of few, uh, you know, numbers. If you look at the overall MSMEs in India, there are about six point three crore entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, they account for almost one third of India's GDP. Uh, and nearly half of our exports, and they employ over 10 crore people. So one can clearly see for the Indian economy to do well, the the MSME ecosystem has to do well. Now, if you look at the last six, seven years, uh, the MSMEs have taken multiple hits. We all know that MSMEs are more cash dependent than their larger counterparts. So starting from 2016, uh, when demonetization got announced, MSMEs took a severe beating. Followed by GST in 2017, which led to more formalization, loss of market share for the MSMEs. Then we had the NBFC crisis in 2019. MSMEs relied more on the informal channel for their lending needs. So that impacted MSMEs more. And then finally, in 2020, we had the pandemic, where the large players were able to still, you know, take care of the supply chain issues. MSMEs were not able to. So if we look at the, again, the same six-year period, we see that corporate India... Uh, their revenues grew much better uh, than the MSMEs. Even if we look closer to fiscal 22, we see that the MSMEs are expected to see a revenue growth of around 12%, while corporate India saw a much more robust revenue growth during that same time period. Even in fiscal 24, that is next year, we expect corporate India to grow by about 10%, while MSMEs are expected to grow by about 8%. But while on the revenue side, MSMEs are still, one could say, above the pre-pandemic level, the same cannot be said about their profitability. In terms of their EBITDA margins, 46% of the MSME by value is still below the pre-COVID level when it comes to their margin. And that is where a critical pain point is. During the same time period, the commodity prices have shot up while the profitability is lower. And that has put a lot of pressure on the working capital needs of MSMEs. At Crystal, our analysis indicates that about one-fifth of the sector by value in terms of the MSME sector is facing elongated working capital requirement. And that's where I would want to focus on some of the interventions that are required, both from, say, the government or the lending institutions, What we see is that the informal segment of lending provides credit to MSMEs at an elevated interest rate compared to the banks. And banks tend to take a cautious approach when lending to the segment. They focus to a very large extent on collateral-based lending. And hence, banks need to enhance the ease of access to capital for MSMEs. They need to look beyond collateral-based lending. They can consider cash flow position of SMEs. Uh, They can do transaction-based lending, adopt co-lending along with NBFCs, and also use surrogates such as promoter or company bureau scores. And this is a critical aspect that needs to be worked on so that the working capital issue for the MSME gets resolved. What the government could do is look at developing the entire ancillary. We can look at examples like in China and Italy, uh, where they've employed cluster development program based on specialization, cooperation, and flexibility. And India too would need to focus on these measures so that we can develop clusters of one town, one product, and in a collaborative environment. The government is kind of doing that, right? So if you look at the defense corridor, for example, the government is trying to ensure that all auxiliary services which MSMEs can provide for the bigger players are located in a certain area. So this is a model, is it? 
Right. So one is, you know, having the ancillary support in terms of there are MSMEs who can support the needs of the larger players. The other is when we see, say, a sharp jump in the commodity prices, it becomes very difficult for MSMEs who are disaggregated to procure the commodities. So there can be a bulk procurement support where one entity procures, say, steel requirement or any other commodity requirement in bulk and gets a better, uh, say, price as compared to what MSMEs would get when they would procure the same commodity individually. There needs to be better R&D facilities even for the MSMEs so that they can innovate on their products. Testing facilities so that the MSMEs are able to supply products to the larger counterparts which are of high caliber and quality so that they can get a better price. It's not just positioning the MSMEs to be there as part of the ecosystem, but developing an enabling environment for them so that they can procure better, they can do better R&D, better testing, as well as then finally supply these products. Mm -hmm. This is a very interesting topic and I hope that we can take this topic up as a separate podcast to discuss the issues that the MSME sector faces and what are some of the things that the government can do to help them in another podcast in the days ahead. But right now we are coming to the end of this podcast and I would like to ask the both of you, what are some of the things that the government can do to rev up the economy, not only in this upcoming fiscal, but beyond as well? I think uh, three things would be, number one, uh, continue on its uh, CapEx uh, agenda, because I think at the moment when the private sector is a little wary to uh, invest, given the uncertainty around it would help for the government to continue investing because number one, it's creating infrastructure. It's creating transport infrastructure as well. And where it's investing, uh, those sectors are employment generated. So I think uh, that's what uh, uh, clearly uh, supports. Second thing I would say is uh, policy certainty as well as uh, you know um, increasing the push that many of the uh, uh, reforms uh, uh, should be getting. So I think many of these can help uh, in terms of accelerating the growth growth process in the medium term. So for instance, we've looked at the medium term through this uh, framework of whether capital will drive it, productivity and efficiency will drive it, or whether labor will. And that goes to suggest that capital will play a role, but probably there a bigger role will be played by uh, you know the government's drive on reforms, digitalization, et cetera, coming into force. So if there's a big push there, it could even take us above our 6.8% growth number, to be honest. And third, I think, uh, um, you know, there there continue to be, there continues to be one very uh, neglected sector, if I may say so, which is agriculture, which continues to face the vagaries of uh, climate change. We are expecting that today as we speak, uh, you know, abnormal rains in uh, many parts of the country. Uh, an impending heat, heat wave, likelihood of El Nino, etc. So, you know, all of these uh, have, have three impacts. One is that it, it uh, creates a complete havoc to the food inflation calculations and therefore monetary policy. It affects incomes in the rural areas. And moreover, you know, it distracts fiscal policy. So instead of spending uh, uh, the, the few resources available with the government towards supporting CapEx, et cetera, there might be a requirement to divert it in order to, you know, provide, say, food grains, subsidies on food, et cetera. And this has been happening year on year. So while climate change talks about uh, targets which are required in, you know, 2040, 50, 60, these are some short-term things that the government can actually uh, focus on by undertaking some smaller uh, measures in the short term. So I think these are the three points from my side. Yeah. 
Just to add and build on to what uh, you know, Deepthi mentioned, uh, I would say that the two segments, one is agriculture and the MSMEs, uh, they are the ones that require significant uh, support. Both of these segments account for a bulk of the employment in India. And if we look at uh, you know, various consumer discretionary uh, products, we see that the premium segments within consumer discretionary are doing exceedingly well. Whether it is the premium cars priced more than 10 lakhs versus the less than 10 lakh counterpart, uh, or even motorcycles, uh, two-wheelers. You know, once our report talks about uh, two-wheelers priced above 90,000 doing much better than the ones below 90,000. We can also see that in uh, premium food categories versus regular food categories. So across consumer discretionary uh, segments, we see premium categories doing well. And that also what it tells us is that segments like agriculture, MSMEs need much more support for them to actually uh, come out of the effects of the pandemic, uh, which maybe the uh, higher strata or you know, the richer class is has already come out of. So better... Uh, access to credit for the MSME ecosystem, better procurement and price support uh, in the short term uh, for the agriculture segment, uh, that would be the need of the hour. Thank you, Deepthi and Pushan for coming on to our podcast and explaining what we can expect from the upcoming financial year and the years ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Dear listeners, thank you so much for joining us today and I hope you found this conversation insightful. I would like to once again thank Chrisil's Deepthi Deshpande and Pushan Sharma for joining us today. Until the next time, this is Nivedita signing off.